Worship team, you guys are awesome. Can we give it up for the worship team? We want to honor you guys. Thank you for driving. Eli drives from Downey to Coin Church. Frankie drives all the way from Costa Mesa, Orange County area. Man, it's, it's beautiful to have, I said this last week, it's beautiful to have people that are gifted. Jason, come on, give it up for Jason right here. <laughs> it's beautiful having people gifted to be able to, to, to put on display the gifts that God has given them. And, and then we get to worship with, with, uh, with power because the gift is there and we get to experience it. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. But hey, I was, I was, as I was praying, getting ready just right now, I just had this thought in my heart. And maybe it's just, it's for me because I need to be reminded of it all the time. But if there's any person in this room that feels shame, shame, shame of being here. You feel like you don't belong here. You feel like you shouldn't even be at church. You feel like you shouldn't even be like raising your hand, even, if, even though you kind of want to. I want to encourage you that the enemy loves to lie to you about the shame in your life, about the sin in your life, the mess up, the mishaps, the mistakes. And this is a place where freedom is at hand. The scripture says that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. That in the midst of the spirit, in the movement of God, there is freedom. So wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, whatever you did last night, I want to encourage you to at least think about it, that God loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to do something in and through you, and he's desiring to move on your behalf. And we get to glorify him and pray to him and sing to him. And if it may not even make sense to you, you just like it because the, the people in the room are nice, then we still love you. Maddie said it, and we say it all the time, you do not have to believe what we believe to belong here, to feel that this is home. This is home, by the way. I love this place. Like, this is my house. This is my home. We got many rooms in the house. We want more room. We're going to break down some walls and add some more room to encompass more people. And I just, like, love it. I love this so much because I, I really do believe that this stuff is real. Like, I believe God's real. I believe his mercies are new. I thank God that his mercies are new, the scripture says, every single day. Like, I don't have to hold on to the mercy from yesterday. The grace and the thankfulness, my shame, yeah, it will look at me in my face and say, you messed up, you done did that, and then you're going to try to go to church. But his mercies, the scripture says, are new every single day. And we get to worship a God that loves us, that wants to do something in and through us, doesn't look at us with condemnation, with a coward brow, with, with anger, looks, us, looks at us yet with love. That's for somebody in the house tonight. I want you to know that, okay? So you're loved. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And you're welcome here. I know we prayed, but I just, I love praying, so we're going to pray again, okay? You could just stare at me and close your eyes, or if you don't have to, but I'm going to pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we need you in this room right now. 2020, the month of February, we need you right here in this space. I pray, oh God, that you would allow me to articulate the text in a way that speaks depth to a soul, to a soul that might be desiring life, to a soul that might be looking for life, to a soul that might be darkened by brokenness and despair. Oh, Spirit of God, move in this place. Allow me to be true to the text, to honor the text, to acknowledge the text. We love the word of God in this house. 
So Holy Spirit, the one that created the universe, the one that created the seas and the roaring ocean, the one that created the sky and the stars that we look up with majestic power, cosmic power, be here, speak tonight, God. In your name we pray, amen. For passage of, yeah, Grandma Liz, come on. <laughs> I got a passage of scripture I want to read to you in the book of 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 to 37, says this. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or when a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I, David, went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from the mouth of the lion and from the mouth of the bear. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant, Saul, has killed both the lion and the bear. This, therefore, uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. We find ourselves in this passage of scripture probably 3,000 plus years ago. Going back to ancient time, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. We see the story of the waters parting. Joshua has fought many battles. A prophet named Samuel has come on the loose, and God is somewhat uneasy about this King Saul. And this prophet named Samuel, this old man named Samuel with a beard and kind of had a limp to his walk, was in his older years, recognized from the voice of God that there was a new king that would come on display. And so God told Samuel to go to a small little town, Bethlehem. He found himself at the house of Jesse, where there were multiple brothers, many brothers, and this young, young lad of a boy named David wasn't even at the table that his father Jesse believed that Samuel would anoint the next king. He wasn't recognized, he was looked over, he didn't feel, Father Jesse didn't feel like he had an adequate experience or just didn't fit the criteria of what it could possibly be in regards to the next king. Samuel came with an assignment from God to go to this particular house, this particular place in the town of Bethlehem. And Samuel finds himself looking and God is saying, no, not that one. He looks tall, he fits the description like Saul, but... Samuel, you don't understand. I don't look at the image. I look at the heart. And so Samuel is looking and he's looking. Well, where then is the next king, God? And tells Jesse, where, do you have any more sons? Do you have anyone else? And Jesse is like, yeah, I got another one. But he's like with the sheep. You want that one to come at this table? And so he comes forward. Jesse has to call. Maybe sends his brothers to go get him out with the flock. Smells like sheep doesn't fit the criteria, doesn't make sense, and he sits himself at the table with his brothers. And God tells Samuel, there is the next king. Anoint him right here, right now, in the presence of his brothers, in the presence of his family. We look in scriptures and theological understanding. We have no idea exact how old David was, but many theologians would agree he was around the age of 14 to 17 years old. Anointed king right then and right there as Saul is still king. 
And so David finds himself with this remarkable story, this remarkable understanding that he would be, in fact, the next king, but it didn't happen immediately. And then that there, there was this problem with these armies. Who knows how long, how many years went by. It could have been a year. It could have been a month. We don't know the exact time frame, but there was these armies around the land of Israel, and, and they were like that nagging pain, that, that thorn in your flesh. They were the ones that were stronger, were, were bigger, were, were taller, and they seemed to have the right armor and the right swords, and it just seemed like they always had the advantage, and there were these men called the Philistines. They were strong, they were big, they were giants in the land. And whenever the Israelites would win victories, there always seemed to be oppositions by this one particular people, the Philistines. And so we find ourselves in the particular passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel where David is told this Philistine is mocking and defying the God of Yahweh, the one true God. And this Philistine Goliath is, is mocking and making fun of and David is just kind of with the sheep, and his dad, Jesse, tells him, hey, your brothers are out. Three of them, in fact, are out, and, and, and there's this stuff going on, and it's been a couple of days, and they haven't really fought full force yet, but they're at this valley, and David, I want you to go take, the scripture says, some bread, some dough, and some cheese. We would accredit it to pizza today. <laughs> the father of David says, David, I want you to go, get word, get notice, check it out. Take this to your brothers and come back with a report. And as David walks on the scene, he sees the army of the, the Israelites and they are scared and they are cowering and they are backing up because there's this one giant out in the midst of the valley named Goliath. And he's tall and he's big and he's strong and he's mocking this God. The God that David serves, the God of Israel, the God that David would hear from stories that parted seas and conquered giants and took out many different armies and people. And that same God was being mocked. You see, the Philistines didn't just believe in one God, they believed in many gods. And so David is there and he gets word and he catches word that all the Israelites are backing up by this man. And he says, so what, what happens if... Someone takes this giant out. David is then told by the many men there, well, you'll be a big deal. Everyone's afraid of him. He's been taunting us for days. And Goliath said, why don't you just bring out your best man? Let me show you what my God, all of my gods can do to your God. Let me show you how powerful I am and how small you are. And you might not have grown up in church, you might not have grown up in like children's ministry or read the Bible when you were little, but to some degree, you kind of have heard the story of David and Goliath. Without going into much detail, it was interesting to me as David looked at Saul and told him, the king, I'll go and battle him. You see, I, I know that God that he's mocking and I know who he is because when I'm with the sheep, I constantly am looking up at the stars in the sky and I'm praying to a true God. I'm praying to a God that has given me a promise and he has told me I will have great victory one day. And so I just am a servant and I told, I'm told to what to do. My father, Jesse, I know I'm the youngest, but I'm supposed to take care of the sheep. So I will take care of the sheep the best of my ability. And when the lion came, Saul, and when the bear came, Saul, I struck them down. So who is this Philistine? To my true God. He said David understood at a young age 
that it wasn't truly him that would conquer the battle, it was God. That he would give him the strength and he would give him the power to do what only God could do through him. And then the rest is history. But you see, something that I've realized in thinking through this passage of scripture is this interesting principle called spiritual momentum. You see, the greater the momentum, the greater the impact. When I was uh, in high school, my first car was a Volkswagen. And I had a 1963 rag top. It was slammed to the floor. And I, and I had, like, I would open up the roof, and I would drive in the city, and I thought I was, like, the ish in town because it was low and it was loud. And I took off. I made it a stinger, and the exhaust was just the, the base. I had a 12-inch sub in the back, and, like, I was the ish on the street. But you see, when you have an old car, it like it doesn't work the way you want it to sometimes. And I remember waking up, and, and my brother, my older brother, would kind of walk me through some difficulties and how to. I'm not like the mechanical guy. I'm not like the hands-on guy. So I would just watch, and he would give me some good like tools, and I would make it happen. And there was this issue that would happen on a regular basis because the starter wasn't efficient as it should be, and it wasn't working properly as it was supposed to. In the mornings, I'd wake up, and I'd turn on freezing cold in my garage. I'd turn on the car, and I would just try and hope and pray to God that it would turn on, and sometimes it wouldn't. My brother would say, well, when that happens, sometimes it could be the battery. It could be the bad starter, but you have to. He would call pop the clutch, and so I would roll down the car with my foot on the clutch, and it probably, it was always in second gear, and sometimes I would try to do it, and I would allow the momentum of the sidewalk as it was going down the driveway to try to, I would put my foot off the clutch, and it would kind of jitter, it would kind of get the engine going, and sometimes it would start. Many times, though, by myself at 7.15 in the morning, when school starts at 7.30, stressed out, sweated out, I would get outside of my car, open the door, run as fast as I possibly could down the street. I would jump in the car, put my foot on the clutch, put it in second, release my foot off the clutch and pray to God. And as the car would, would jitter, sometimes it would start. But you see, it was getting me to my destination and it needed a great momentum to be impactful for my day. And then I realized I got smart. When I was at school, I just got all my buddies to help me push the car. <laughs> I didn't even have to run with the car. I just could sit inside of it. And it was so much easier when the starter was wrong or the battery was wrong when I was inside the car. But it's a, it's a physical principle of momentum and velocity, right? The faster you go, the more pickup you get. I could, I could push this table as far as I possibly could, and it will go a certain amount of distance, but if I ran and, and found amount of velocity, I, I could really launch it out to the, a, a couple rows down, but it requires a principle, physical, of momentum. You see, in order to, to drive to the next destination in your life, you need some spiritual, I would argue, some spiritual momentum. With the things of God, with the power of God, with the movement of God, you need to realize that God wants to do something in you, and he wants to build a momentum. You see, David understood this principle. No one was watching. He had no crowds of Philistines and Israelites. He already knew what God could do in the battlefield. He was building up a spiritual momentum and he would take out the lion and he would rely on God and he would take out the bear and he would rely on God and he would never back down and he would just keep pushing and keep going forward. 
The spiritual discipline is don't rest after a victory. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep fighting. You know, there's this interesting physical principle of, of a hurricane. Hurricanes start out as small little storms. And eventually it becomes greater and stronger and it builds and the closer it gets to land, when the hurricane arrives, it hits and destroys all of the opposition in the hurricane's way. And it gains momentum into the next dimension or the next place or the next opposition or the next battle. The Holy Spirit is also accredited to us in the, in, the, in the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, as a mighty rushing wind that is within us. Acts 2 verses 1 through 2 says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Notice the word fully. You see, in the Old Testament, God would move, his spirit would move in men like David. His spirit would move in men like Samson. His spirit would move in men like Moses and Joshua. But what happened was he was building a spiritual momentum. And then when Jesus came on the scene and he was risen from the dead, and then he went back up to be in the heavens, what happened was there was a momentum building up. And the scripture says on the day of Pentecost, it, the spirit had fully come. There was a new movement that changed everything in the course of history. Noticed that the greatest growth and victory comes in the face of battle. Think about that for a moment. If you want victory in your life, if you want God to build you up in such a way, you have to be willing to take on some bigger battles. We were playing basketball this past Thursday, and we're in a league in Walnut, and <laughs> there's a couple people that went with us, and for some reason, the person that was organizing the schedule decided we're in the lower division, you know, the guys that just want to go and have fun and shoot around, but then there's a division above our division. It's like the big dogs, the big guys, like really big, and so to make it fun, we were in opposition with the big guys, and I remember like, get, like getting there, seeing these like, they were big, they were big guys, you know? And, and what's interesting is as we played, there was a fear factor when you step on the court. I don't want to get hurt, man, I don't want to be pushed around. I remember we got a buddy named Rich on the team and he's pretty good. And I like ran down the court alongside of him as he was going to come up with the layup and the guy behind him literally with all his strength just nudged him. And he, I remember he just like fell and slid. <laughs> And I was like, man, this is, this is a real game. But I realized something pretty quickly when I was on defense and I was playing against a guy that was way better than me, that in order to get better, I have to be able to step into those battles. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to understand something. With the way he was on me while I was playing defense, he was feeling where I was at. It was like unbelievable. I feel like I was playing with Kobe Bryant, and he was just so good. He was so methodical. And I realized in order for me to get better, I have to be in spaces and arenas like this. And it's the same thing spiritually. When a battle comes, you, you face it head on. When the giants come, you face them head on. We, oftentimes we pray away the things that are, are most scary in our lives, not realizing that that same Goliath, that same giant, is what's going to get us to our next level. Our next dimension, the next place that God wants to do something, the next understanding and I've realized just talking with someone outside before service that what happens when we get comfortable and it gets easy and it's simple and it's plain, we get really lazy and we stop growing. Why is it that when you look at a plant, when you look at an oak tree, why is it that the roots are what is most strong? 
within the tree. It takes years. It takes years. And the wind comes. No one likes the winds. No one likes the storm. No one likes the rain. But it's, it's the very rain that creates the growth for a plant in a tree to grow. So instead of when a giant comes and is mocking you, why, why can't we have that perspective of David to stand up and say, I slew the giant, or I slew the bear, I slew the, 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 bear, the lion. Why, why can't I take out this giant? If God be for me, who can be against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Nothing and no one can get in my way when I allow God to be before me. And I need to build. I have to build. I have to pray that God would create opposition in my life for spiritual momentum. You know what happens is we have a victory and it's amazing. And maybe we face a lion. And for, for many of us, lions are big deals. They are. They're scary and they're prowly and they're growly and they... They don't smell good, and they, they, they're just terrifying. But we conquer that battle, and something goes on, a bad report at home, a bad report at the doctors, and we find ourselves at church. We find ourselves texting all of the people that like, we think are close to God. Hey, could you say a prayer for me? Hey, I'm going through this battle. Hey, this is what happened. And we, we, we get close to God enough to feel his presence and feel his power. We get close to him enough. We come to church enough and we find the victory. And as soon as we find it, we just stop fighting. And we lose the spiritual momentum, the spiritual velocity. We lose the power of what God really wants to do. But if we would just stay still, if we would just keep moving forward and say, come on, I can take another battle. I can take another fight because I know in every victory, God will continue to increase my spirit. He will begin to increase my soul. And so what was small then or what was big then will become small now. And I can take out the lion and I can take out the bear. And no matter what giant is in front of me, God will be before me. But I have to be willing to step on the court with the big guys. Or else I will not be able to do what God has called me to do in the life spiritually of, of the arena, the game that we play. And life gets hard, doesn't it? We're not here to lie to you. We're not here to say that it's all beautiful and sunshine and it smells good and the air freshener is always on. No, it, it gets stinky and it gets ugly and it feels like we're with the sheep all the time. And it feels like no one's watching us and it feels like we want more opportunities and we want God to move in our life. But whenever the opposition comes, we want to flee from it. Psalms 18.32 says this. this is, I love this. David speaking, this comes from a man that understands battle. He says, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. He's confident. You make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. He's not prideful. He acknowledges who God is and what he's done in his life. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. And watch this. You would just think, all right, David, I got it. Like you've done some good things. You've, you've won some battles. You took out the bear and the lion and the giants. And he goes on and he's got a pedigree. He's got a line of all the things he's done just to build himself up because he's the type of person that wants spiritual momentum. He said, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. 
We saw, you, you see the enemy on the floor, you see the victory, and God, God, great, God grants you something, you're praying that God moves in your life, and he does something, you get accepted to that college, you get, a, you get that job to offer, you, you get out of college, and you're all excited, and you just feel like you're getting victory after victory, and then you become stagnant. David wasn't that type of person. David said, I want more. When the enemy's on the floor, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to knock them out. He said, I, I did not turn until they were destroyed. I crushed them so they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight. And I destroyed my foes. And I didn't give up. And I didn't let up. And I always made sure God had the final say. You see, when God gives me a small victory, I'm not going to stop. When God grants me something that's small and it's simple and it doesn't, it's not big to everyone else, but it's just amazing here. When, you know, last week we reached 100 people. I'm like, come on, that's a victory for us. That's a, that, to, to churches in this area, it's like, oh, big deal. But to me, it's like, no, that's a victory. I, I, I see every person as someone that is looking for God, is desiring God, no matter what background, no matter what place you are, no matter what understanding you have of God. You're not just a number to us. You're a soul to us. We are for the one here. And we believe that God wants to do something great and mighty in your life. But if we're not teaching you the preparation that it requires and understanding to keep moving forward, you will lose lose spiritual momentum. And it's in spiritual momentum that God does his greatest work. I'm not going to let the enemy stop. I'm not going to let him stop me in a season of victory. And for some of you, you're in seasons of victories, which I love. I love hearing it. I love hearing that. God's granting, he's, he's, you're praying, you prayed for that one thing, and God answered it. You're praying for that other thing, God answered it. There's a thing going on in your life, and God got you through it. But there comes a time where it might not seem like it's a season of victory. What then will you do in the face of adversary, in the face of opposition? Will you back down and cower down at the giants that are mocking your God and your life and your family? Or will you step in and say, it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what's in front of me. I will have faith to step through this battle. You see, I believe in personal battles of victory that they bleed over into your family. The scripture says in 2 Samuel 3.1, watch this. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David was called to be king when he was just a lad. When he was just 17, 16 years old and didn't see it to come to pass until he was 30. In that time, he had another king that was under the rule of Israel. And it got a point after David killed this giant, he was immediately brought to a whole nother platform of success. People knew his name. People knew who he was. You know, it's interesting. If you go back to the story, which it should be your home or you should want to know. It shouldn't just be what I'm saying up here. If you read the passages of scripture, what... what caught out and jumped out to me was that after David kills Goliath and he, he cuts his head off with David's own sword, before that he tells Saul, I, I, know you, I know you want me to have your armor and I know you want me to have your helmet. I know you want me to use your sword, but I, I just need, I need you to know I'm unique to myself. I got a calling from myself. It's unique to me. It's not your calling. It's my calling. It's not your destiny. It's my destiny. And I'm going to take ownership of it. So I don't need your stuff. God will take care of me. And all he had was a sling and some rocks. 
And there was this interesting verse. It said, Saul turned to his commander-in-chief, Abner, and he said, who is this? Who is this kid? And, and, and who's his father? And no one knew. He's like, I, I don't know. He comes from the house of Jesse. I don't know where that's at. I don't know. And he, Abner says, I honestly do not know who he is. And it popped out to me that you can be a nobody. In fact, many of us are nobodies. And I truly believe God will use a nobody for something. God will use the low things. God will use a boy that is hanging out with the sheep to do his greatest work because he realized, God, that David was after his heart, wasn't after fame, wasn't after the glory, wasn't after the platform. He was after God's own heart, and God used him. He'll use a nobody. He'll use someone that doesn't understand. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care all the understanding you have of the scriptures. If you desire that God would use your heart for, for the, the good of other people, then God will move in your, and he'll do something in your life. And it comes with humility. David was incredibly humble. The scripture says the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. You see, when you keep growing, it not only affects you, it begins to affect and bleed out into your family. When you keep growing and you keep fighting, it begins to affect your household. It begins to affect your children. It begins to affect your spouse. It begins to affect your siblings. It begins to affect your cousins and your family. There's just something different about them. I don't understand. He prays to God and God answers his prayers. I don't understand who this person thinks he is, but he's talking with confidence. Everyone's talking negative and they're talking positive. I don't understand them, but man, there's something. I just want something that they have. And the scripture says that the more that David, the more that time would go on, the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker, while the house of David, not just David, the house of David, grew stronger and stronger. And I don't know about you, if you're a father in this room, a mother, if you're a brother or a sister, if you have family that does not know God, my encouragement my encouragement to you is the more you have spiritual momentum in your life, the more you don't back down, the more you keep pressing forward, the more you keep fighting, the more you keep coming to church and praising God, the more you keep getting in community, the more you keep reading the scriptures and believe it and step in faith, it pleases God. All of a sudden, it begins to bleed out into your family, bleed out into your household, bleed out into every person that you're around. Here's a side note. David kept having victory over victory. <laughs> I won't go in depth about this because I want to be on a high note. But he kept having victory after victory after victory after victory until something happened in his life. And it was sin. Got in his story. Crept up on him. He thought he could have the whole kingdom. He thought he could do whatever he wanted. You see, that's the thing that scares me about power. When you have no checks and balances, you just think you can rule the world. And you might not have known the story. I don't want to go too much in detail. I don't want to, it might be part two of this, but he sees a woman bathing named Bathsheba. And he calls to his people, go and grab, go get her and bring her to me. She gets pregnant with Solomon, by the way. 
And he decides to go and to, to clean up the sin, to clean up the mess up, to clean up the mishap, to clean up instead of just going to God and say, God, I've made a mistake. I've messed up. God, help me through this. God, give me wisdom through this. I abused my power. I did something out of turn. And no, God, you know I'm not perfect. God, your mercies are new. Help me in this. Instead of going to God, he went to his power. And the scripture says that he had the, the husband of Bathsheba killed, put in battle, and said, when, when the battle goes out with the war, with, when the battle goes out, I want my men to retreat as he moves forward, and he'll be killed. And that's exactly what happened. But you see, in the story of David, as soon as he did that, the scripture says there was blood on his hand. And it affected his house. Look it up, the lineage, the origin. Look it up, the sin. There was something about it. I don't want to just talk about it and be all like gloom and doom, but it's a big deal. I want the spiritual momentum, but I have to realize that sin, the enemy, is lurking. The scripture says that we can't give him a foothold into our life. The scripture says in the book of Revelation that the enemy, the devil, is waiting at the, watch this imagery, at the birth canal as a lying, roaring, ready to devastate and destroy your life. But I don't know about you, but I'm watching. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm paying attention. I got my heart to God, and I have to make sure that anyone can mess some. Anyone can make mistakes, but I have to always go to God. But it's when sin comes in. It's when sin grips your soul, and it, you don't care. No one, you don't want to talk about it. If someone tells you, hey, that's probably not a good idea, you don't want anything to do with it, and we, uh, we don't understand why then we have no spiritual momentum. It's a big deal. It's, a, it's something real. We're not going to shy away from it. We're not going to hide from it. It's a big deal. The worship team, you guys can come on up. Spiritual momentum becomes weak when sin or when evil gets in your story. <laughs> I got a good story for you. If you really want spiritual momentum, you have to be willing to keep moving. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep moving. Keep moving. Scripture says this in Romans. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Do you know that? You bring glory to God in your suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That thing that just allows you to keep on going. The engine that just wouldn't stop. You just keep on going. You get knocked down. You, get, you fall forward. You keep on going. You just keep on going. That's the thing about David. He kept going, though. He recognized what he did wrong. The prophet Nathaniel said, do you realize what you've done? He repented. He wrote a whole psalm about it, Psalm 51. And he said, God, please don't allow the spirit that lives within me to depart from me. I need this anointing. I need this wisdom. I'm king over Israel, and I need you to stay with me. I know I made a mistake, but I need you to keep going with me. I'm willing to fall forward, Lord. And the scripture still accredits David to be a man after God's own heart. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. <laughs> this isn't my story. I got it from someone, but then I realized it's all over the internet. There's a story, I don't like fish, by the way. I was telling Grandma Liz today, I think I might experiment and like eat some fish this year. I don't wanna be that guy, but I really don't like fish. I don't like the texture, I don't like the flavor, but I'm gonna try it out, okay? It's 2020, new me. There's a story of cod and catfish. You see, before people loved salmon, they loved codfish. Salmon was a luxury item. 
I don't know if you knew this, but, but polar bears, they, 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 they're, they're starting to not be able to eat because we keep taking their food, salmon. But before salmon, there was this fish. I never heard of it until this story. Grandma Liz says she loves it, called codfish. It became incredibly popular in the East Coast. It was known for its flavor and texture and freshness. Flavor, texture, and freshness. So they decided on the West Coast, why don't we transport the codfish via train? First, they put it on ice, and, and it lost its freshness. It came maybe to California, it came to the West Coast, and as it came, it took two to three days to come. They put it on ice, and it just it wasn't alive. So it, people would eat it, and they're like, this is not like the codfish that I would eat on the West, East Coast. It's not fresh. It doesn't have the texture. It doesn't have the flavor. So then they decided to send the codfish in large fish tanks, alive. They would put the codfish in trains, put the salt water, everything it needed to preserve its life, and they would, they would transport it, take two to three days, and yet when it would come, they'd kill it, they'd cook it, and it still didn't have its flavor or its freshness, yet it was alive. Did you know you could still be alive and not be fresh? You could still be alive and not have texture and flavor. There was something that was lost. There was something that was missing. And so they decided to put the enemy of the codfish in the tank. I love this. This is like, man, this fired me up. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. The enemy of the codfish is the catfish. So they put catfish in the tank. And for two to three days, the codfish had to run from the catfish. And when they got to the destination, they took the codfish out that was still alive. They cooked it. They ate it. And they said, this is the best codfish I've had in my life. It's got the good flavor. It's got the good texture. And it's fresh. You see, the principle here in your life and in my life is we cannot run from the enemy. We have to face the enemy. We can run, we can run, we can run, we can run. And you might be asking yourself, why is there so much opposition in my life? Well, it's because God put them in there for a reason. You ought to thank God for your enemies. You ought to thank God for the opposition. You ought to thank God for the battles because it's creating freshness in your soul, texture in your soul, flavor in your soul. So I'm being honest. I'm being honest. I'm glad I learned this. I'm glad I learned this young. I really do. I don't care when the enemy comes. Sure, it's scary. It's catfish in the tank. And I got to run and I got to maneuver and I got to be wise and I got to be smart. But I have to realize the scripture says in the Old Testament that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then they went, he went after the Israelites. And they're moaning and complaining and upset with Moses, un, not even understanding that the very Pharaoh of the enemy was getting them to the next point of destination. So wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, you need some catfish in your life. You need some opposition. You need some giants. You need some Goliaths. You need some lions and some bears to come against you because that's when God will do his greatest work. That is what will keep you fresh. If you're just chilling in the tank, swimming around, nothing to worry about, la-di-da-di-da, and there's nothing coming against you, you're going to forget about God. You're not going to come to church anymore. You're not going to pray anymore. You're not going to get on your knees and cry out to a God to save your family and to save your kids and save the people around you. But you have to have the catfish in your tank. So I want to encourage you tonight to keep moving forward, to keep pressing on, to keep fighting, to keep pursuing, to keep understanding that when the enemy comes, it's just building spiritual momentum in your soul. 
want to pray for you and with worship. Jesus, I pray for every person in this room. God, every person that doesn't know you, Father, every person that has an enemy that's coming after them, every person, God, that doesn't understand because of the pain and the brokenness and the enemy, because of the people that are mocking them, because of the haters, because of the people that are bringing them down and putting them down, God, I pray that you would remind them that it's those very people that you're using to create a great work of spiritual momentum in their soul. May we recognize the things that you're doing in our life. May we call out to you in great pain and despair, knowing that you will take care of us, knowing that you will fight all our battles, but we have to be willing to step up against the Goliaths of our life. And I pray for any person in this room that does not know you, God, has not come to recollection of who you are, has not had the revelation of God. Maybe they haven't crossed that line of faith, but tonight, Father, you're speaking to their soul. You're piercing through bone and marrow. You're speaking to the very thing that has become dark and stagnant and void in their life, and you're asking, bring it back to life. Maybe you grew up in church and you've gone wayward and you could care less, but tonight you're reminded of a living God, a true God, a God that loves you, a God that prepares for you, a God that does not look with shame and guilt and anger, but that's saying, come back home. I'm calling you home. Maybe you're here in this room and you've never understood who God is, but for some reason you're curious. You want to know more. You want to step in more and you want to cross that line of faith wherever you're at in your journey. If tonight you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to cross that line of faith. If that's you in this room, I would just ask that you just raise your hand. You're not raising it to me, you're raising it to a God in heaven who's real. Raise your hand if that's you. I see you. I see you. God, I want to pray for every person in this room, Jesus. That you would speak to them, that you'd move in them, that you'd do a great work in them, God. That they would keep coming back, find a church that's local to them that they would dig deeper, Father, that they would face opposition knowing that you go before them, knowing that you, you are great in their life, God, that you will, con- will conquer the enemy in their life. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.